All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Praise God. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. He is Lord of our lives and he is Lord of the church. He's Lord over everything. God hath caused him to have preeminence over everything. That in everything, in everything he is Lord. In everything he is above all principalities and above all nations and nationalities and kings of the earth. He is Lord. What a great God he is. Blessed be his name. Father, we've come to the time in this service. We've sung these great spiritual songs and we've really just made melody in our hearts to you today. But God, we would not depart from these premises before we hear from your word. For your word, O oh Lord, is that element of our relationship with you that gives us encouragement, it gives us strength, it gives us instruction and righteousness. It inspires us. And Lord, we pray today that your word would go forth with great power. Give us liberty, O oh Lord, today. Help us to dismiss everything outside these walls. And help us to focus solely upon what the Spirit has to say to the church. To our individuals that are seated here today, O oh Lord, in the light of the Word of God, I pray that you will change us, Lord. You have our permission to change us. And God, those elements in our life that are outside your intention for us, we pray that you'd help us, Lord, to amputate those things before we leave this place today. Through the strong name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. amen. Over the years, I've been to many, many pastors' conferences, many, many growth conferences, preached in many of them myself, and heard every kind of a giz gizmo, gadget, every kind of gimmick that can be pulled to pack pews, to everything else to get people into God's house. I've decided that the best formula is in the book of Acts. Amen. In spite of all of our ingenuity and our own intuitiveness, that there is a model in the book of Acts for us to follow that will cause churches to grow. It actually caused this church to grow. It was actually an Acts model that brought this church into existence. An itinerant evangelist came and preached a gospel under a Pentecostal anointing. And God gloriously touched his efforts, and you see what you see today here as Harvest Church. Began with 17 people, amen, in a meager building over on Mulberry. And God brought that humble little group of people to what we see here today, a great church doing great things for God, amen. And it isn't by happenstance, it's by the will of God that we are who we are and that we do what we do. It was in the book of Acts that a, I guess you would call him short, to be more precise, you could use diminutive. He wasn't tall, and he wasn't a, a towering figure. He wasn't impressive to look at, but he was a genius in his thinking. In fact, he's been called the Aristotle of the, of the New Testament. He wound up writing over half 
of the New Testament. Thirteen epistles accredited to him. He was a great evangelist, a missionary, church planter. He was a, a great administrator. He was a, a great organizer. In fact, we owe much of what we owe and know and do in the church today to the Apostle Paul. Jesus simply said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But all of the order that is set up in the church was set up by the mind and the heart and the pensmanship of the Apostle Paul. He, he Like I say, he was an impressive figure. In fact, he wasn't a good speaker. In fact, he had some think had a speech impediment. He may have been a stutterer. Can you imagine a man that wrote half of the Bible was maybe a stutterer, may have been tongue-tied, and may have had some kind of disease in his eyes that he had to have certain eye salve from Laodicea to put on his eyes to uh, a medication to heal a disease that he had that caused his eyes to run. He was so dim of sight that oftentimes he could not see to write the letters and he would have workers with him like Sylvanus and like Mark to write for him because his eyesight was so poor. But that man was so charged with evangelism, he says that his conversion went like this. He was on his road to Damascus, as I've said before, struck down by a bright light, and he asked a question, Who art thou, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And he said, Well, who, what do you want me to do? He said, Go to the street that's called straight. You'll receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And said, Then you're going to be a great vessel. You're going to be a vessel unto honor for me. You're going to do great things. I have in mind to use you greatly. He later said, I wasted the church and persecuted the church beyond measure. But he became the great ambassador for the church uh, in the New Testament. We find him in a city called Corinth in, in Greece. And he's preaching and making disciples, meets some other tent makers whose name was Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah. And he started gaining some people that helped him do ministry. But then God spoke to him and told him, he said, I want you to carry this message to another province. And God gave him unction to go to Ephesus. He knew that the next place to plant seed for churches was in Asia. And he left with Aquila and Priscilla at Chinchira. And in AD 52, he sailed on toward a port city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was no mean city in Asia. Ephesus was the pride of antiquity. Boy, there were colossal buildings and there was marble everywhere, structures, colosseums, amphitheaters, temples that were built. One was built to Diana, the fertility goddess of which all kinds of immoral acts took place. But when Paul and his co-workers walked in the streets of Ephesus, they were charged with his, his slogan, preach the word. Preach the word. Like he told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He entered the city with a mission to plant a church, but it began with the preaching of the word of God. When that itinerant evangelist, J.B. Ellis, came to this town, he began a church by preaching the word. And by preaching the word, he saw converts. 
come to the Lord Jesus. In fact, in Ephesus, there was such a revival that broke out. The Bible said they brought all of their trinkets and brought all of their, their idol gods and their pagan gods and all of their iconology and brought it out and built a big fire and burned it. The church was so full and populated with great people that it became the basis for what was known in Asia as Colossae, Galatia, Thessalonica. All of those churches were planted from the church at Ephesus. At Ephesus. Ephesus, a great metropolitan city, a city of culture, a city of art, but a city of many, many religions. And when Paul began preaching the gospel, many converts came to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. And what a great and powerful church the Ephesian church was. Met much fruit, all kind of fruit. Fruit is what? A Christian, the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. The fruit of a great church is another great church. And when great churches start producing fruit, then churches are planted in the name of Jesus. And that church was, was such a great and a mighty church. In AD 52, started preaching that gospel, and it spread all over the, the province of Asia. Now we find a, another situation. Over in the book of Revelation, there is a, a letter that is written to the church in that city of Ephesus. And it's one of what we call the seven churches of Asia. One of those churches is the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church. You know who the, who the great pastor was that pastored the church at Ephesus? Timothy. Timothy. And you must remember there was a lot of persecution in the early church in those days. There were a lot of people that endured very, very tough things to name the name of Christ and be counted and wear the name of Christian. It was so severe that many of the people that were one to the Lord during Paul's missionary trip, many of them fell by the wayside because the persecution was too great. In fact, in 1 Timothy, the church is growing so, so, so great and it's doing so good that they've got to get together and get some leaders for the church. They got to see about how do we organize. And he contacted the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote him the book of 1 Timothy when he was pastor, first bishop of the church at Ephesus. And when he wrote his letter to, to Paul, he said to Paul, he said, we're growing so rapidly and we're doing so well. I need you to help me structure the church. I need you to help me get some responsibilities for leaders and some qualifications for leaders. And that's where you get the idea of deacons and elders in the church. That comes from the situation at Ephesus because they were growing so great and so mightily that one person couldn't handle all the duties of handling the church. So God, through Paul, spoke to Timothy and said, you need to pick some elders and you need to pick some deacons and you need to delegate some of this stuff out so that people can take care of people. And that's the way it's supposed to be in church. People taking care of people. The chief function of the guy who sits in this place and preaches from this pulpit is to do exactly that. Preach the word of God. That's his chief function. Is to communicate to the church the will of God through the preached word of the Lord. Amen. So many times we think we hire a preacher. And we... 
we, we, we feel like, well, I, I, we pay, I pay my tithe so, so he can do that. We shouldn't be having, no, that's wrong, 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 wrong. The reason God has you in a church is so that you can be a blessing. The reason God has you in a church is because there's a responsibility to one another. Submit yourselves one to another. It's the duty of every one of us in this house to care one for another, pray one for another, amen, love one another, amen, be there for one another, stand in the gap, make up the hedge for one another, help one another, amen. All kind of one anothering in the Bible. And that's what church is all about, amen. And the, the, the leadership of the church and the delegation of the church is supposed to do that, that the things that are necessary to spiritually keep everybody informed of the will of God concerning them. And they do that through the preaching of the word of God. The greatest thing I can do for you is not call you out and get you up here and anoint you with oil. Greatest thing I can do for you is preach. 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 Preach the word. Preach the word of God. Don't preach on current events and all that. Preach the word of God. Get the Bible out and preach the word of God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. So Timothy did exactly that. And he found himself deacons that were husband of one wife, a good report of them that are without, not a brawler, who was a good father and took care of his children, was a good husband and took care of his family and ruled his own house well. Now, I don't know where a pastor would get that information. You might talk to his spouse and see if he rules his own house well. That might be tough on the uh, application, mightn't it, Don? Well, I want you to know there ain't any ruling goes on around here, Brother Jerry. Well, anyway, that's, that's on the application. So he did that. He got, got these folks around him and gathered them around him, and uh, they started working for the Lord. But it wasn't long before that persecution got so great and some people were called before the magistrates and, and some were in prison, some were beaten and all. And when the persecution ramped up, then the attendance went down. I said when the persecution ramped up, the attendance went down. And it wasn't long before many of the people that Timothy thought would always be with him. People that were part of the vision. People that were very involved. People that were up front. People that held positions suddenly abandoned and left. And suddenly he was left alone. And suddenly he had a handful of people. What was once, I've been painting you a picture. I want you to see what the church that Jesus wrote the letter to. What once was a huge People, several services a day. Christians doing great things has now shrunk to just a little handful. And so Timothy writes a letter back to Paul and he writes a letter saying, I quit. I quit. 
I quit. Tried this, tried that, did exactly what you said, didn't work. I thought we were getting ready for, for more campuses and more of this and more of that and more of other. And he said, and that didn't happen. Exactly the opposite of what I thought was going to happen, happened. And people that I thought would always be a part left. And here I am sitting here with a handful of people and I don't like that. And I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that. And I resign. I quit. And then we get the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. So Paul writes to him, Neglect not the gift that is within thee, which was given to thee by the laying on of my hands. Have you forgot that you've got the Holy Ghost? Have you forgotten that the power of God is in you? Have you forgotten? Have you forgot about those times that your grandma sat you on her knee? Have you forgot about those times that your mama Eunice read the word of God to you when you was a kid? Said, I'm just writing to you to tell you, you're looking out there seeing things but you need to be remembering who you are and you need to be remembering where you came from and you need to be remembering about the God that has a purpose for your life and a plan, an intentional plan for your life. Hey, don't you give in to that kind of stuff. You stand up and be the man of God. Stand in the pulpit, preach the word. It's not up to you how many. God said, I'll count them. When the time comes to count, I'll do the counting. Come on, somebody. God said, if numbers matter, let me do the counting. You just preach. You just be what you're supposed to be. You just do what you're supposed to do. When counting time comes, I'll do the counting. Yeah, there's tares. Yeah, but there's some wheat too. But I'm the one that'll separate wheat and tares. Don't you mess with wheat and tares. You just preach the word of God. You just be who I want you to be. You just do what I want you to do. I'll separate. I'll do the counting. Woo! Glory to God. Wow, I wish we could just get that through our head. So now we find this church, one time powerful and aglow, but listen to what God says to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Well, I better set that up before I do that. Let's do chapter 1, verse 10. If you'd put that up there for me, Cheryl, please. Revelation 1 and 10. It says, And I, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In the Spirit I was... I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That comes from a, a Greek word, was. It, it, it is a transitional verb. It means that I, I, I found myself in a different dimension. It means that I, it's genomai. It means that I, I found myself in a, a different, I was translated out of the physical into the spiritual. I took a step out of the tangible 
and drifted over into the intangible and the spiritual. Glory to God. I, John, was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I've already talked to you about the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a voice. I would like to submit to you, he knew that voice. He'd heard that voice many times. He heard that voice say to a leper, I will be thou clean. He heard that voice stand upon the bow of a ship and say, peace, be still. And there was a great calm. He heard that voice at a funeral procession say to a little boy, Lord God, let this child's spirit re-enter him. And the child got up from the bier and he began to dance around the, 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 the funeral procession. He heard that voice when it walked up to a tomb in Bethany and Lazarus, come forth! And suddenly Lazarus was raised from the dead and came walking out. He heard that voice when it said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He heard that voice when it said, it is finished. So when he was in the Lord's day and in the spirit, praise the Lord, and he heard a voice, he recognized the voice, and the Bible said, and I turned, I turned to see, I turned to see, glory to God. Have you ever heard the voice? I said, is the voice of God familiar to you? When God says something, do you recognize that it's God speaking, it's God talking? Do you know when God's talking to you, do you recognize the voice? I turned and I, I saw, when I, when I turned over the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Wow. And in the middle, mesos, it means at the heart of it, in the very center, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the floor and girt about the paps by a golden girdle. Oh, blessed be God. I used to preach sometimes about the Christ John saw on Patmos. Oh, the Bible said his hair was white like wool. About his paps was a golden girdle. He had on a priestly robe down to his feet, and his feet were as fine brass burnt in the furnace. And John said, when I saw him, when I saw him, I fell as a dead man. Now, when somebody comes to you and says, have you got any scripture for that falling out stuff you people do? When somebody comes and says, I want you to show me that in the Word of God, right there's where you go. I was so overwhelmed by his lordship. I was so awe-stricken by his majesty. I was so overcome by his holiness that I wilted and I collapsed as a dead man. Glory to God. And he came over to me. 
laid his hand on my head and he said, I am Alpha and I am Omega. I'm A and I'm Z. Everything in between. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am he that was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I got the key. And I got the key to death and hell and the grave. Glory be to God forevermore. Where was he? In the midst of the candlesticks. In the midst of the churches. In the midst of the churches. Oh, I want to tell you something. You may have candlesticks, but if you don't have the Lord Jesus in the midst of the candlesticks, then all of their burning is for naught. I want to tell you that when Jesus is walking in the midst of the candlesticks, when Jesus is observed in the center of the vision, when Jesus becomes the one that is worshipped, the one that is praised, when he becomes the priority, when he's the principal character, when he's walking in the midst of the church, then the church can do its work because Jesus is in the midst of the church. We're not made effective because some great pastor or some popular person preaches to us. We're not made a great church because our building is pretty. We're not made a great church because we have numbers. We don't, it's not a great church because of the carpet or any, anything about a building or anything about a person. You're a great church because Jesus walks in the midst of the church. If Jesus is not in the church, then take your steeple down. If Jesus is not in the church, then take your shingle down. If Jesus is not in the church, don't call it a church because his church is the place where he abides. It's the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Blessed be God forever. So this revelation is being given to John and we turn over to the second chapter and we begin reading the letter. Under the angel, angelos, it means messenger. It means pastor. Jesus wrote the pastor a letter. Are you kidding me? How would you, how would you do that? Just go to the mailbox and reach inside and pull out an envelope and it says, to the pastor, from God. Holy cow. A letter to the church, to the angel of the church, the pastor, the messenger of the church. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. I know thy labor. I know your patience. I know how thou canst not bear them that are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles but are not and found them to be false and liars. And you have borne and have, have patience. And for my name's sake you've labored hard and you have not fainted. 
What is all that? Commendation. What is God saying? Thank you. God is saying, I commend you. You've done a good job. You've worked hard. You've stood in there. You've, you've stood the test. You've, you've been through all the mess, and you're still there. And I just want to tell you, you've got great patience, and I commend you for having great patience. I commend you for hanging in there when times were tough. I commend you for being strong. I commend you for being steadfast. I commend you for being faithful. I commend you for doing what you do. Praise God. Well, I don't want to make you feel good. For God to be proud of you. Boy, that's a good thing that God is proud of you. He said, I know you've had patience. I, I know you've done all these things. And then there comes this word, nevertheless. How did the NIV translate that one? Nevertheless. Yet I hold this against you. They didn't put the nevertheless in there. If you got a new King James, it says, but. <laughs> you ought to know all about but after last Sunday's message. You have had great patience. You've endured. You've stood up for right and wouldn't participate in wrong. You've punished people that were hypocritical. And I thank you for that. But, but, well, I told you that I don't get to preach to the buts very much, but I'm going to get to today. But, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. What was the complaint that God had? He commended them, but then he corrected them. He corrected them because the passion and the zeal and the enthusiasm that they once had, they no longer had. That zeal and enthusiasm that caused them to gather up all their rock and roll records and take them out and throw them in a fire and build a fire with them. That zeal and that enthusiasm that caused them to go get all their little trinkets and little witchcraft iconology and gather up all the idols and all the witchcraft, all the seance materials and all the tarot cards and all the paraphernalia that goes along with witchcraft. Got all that stuff gathered up and took it and throwed it in the fire. Come on, somebody. All that enthusiasm and zeal to be counted for God. Gather up everything that's evil. Get all the whiskey. Bring it out here and throw it in the fire. Get all the stuff, all the drugs. Get out here, throw it in the fire. Burn it up. I'd like to see a list of what went in the bonfire at Ephesus. All kind of sensual stuff. All kind of lasciviousness and perversion. Throw it in the fire. That zeal that you had. That enthusiasm that you had. Let's start a church over in Colossae. Let's get a work going on over there. Let's send some, some of our members over there and they can get a job over there and let's start a believers group over there and get a church going over there in that, that community. Let's, let's send somebody to Galatia. 
Let's get somebody over to Thessalonica. Let's, let's get some, some work doing. Let's spread this. This is too good to keep to ourselves. In fact, it was this Ephesian church that they'd had revival and burned their, all their stuff. And Paul in Acts 19, passing along the upper coast. Can you put that up there for me, please? Acts 19 and 2. And passing along the upper coast, Paul came to Ephesus. And when he got to Ephesus, he said to them all, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you had the bonfire? Anybody got the Holy Ghost since y'all had the bonfire? Anybody received the Spirit of God since the evangelist left town? Have y'all received the Holy Ghost? Did you receive it when you believed? They said, no, we didn't get it then. We burnt the records. We burned up the icons. We got rid of all the sexual, sensual stuff and all the witchcraft stuff. We burned all that up, but I don't remember us getting the Holy Ghost. Well, what, what did you get baptized with? Said, oh, we just got the water. We got that, we've not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Next verse. Paul then said, what were baptism did you receive? They said, John's. John said, I indeed baptize you with water. Far as I can go. Forgiveness of sin, far as I can go. Far as I can go. All I can do is you tell me that you're saved and you're bringing forth fruit, meat for repentance, and you're living the life. All I can do is just put you in the water, immerse you, and bring you out to walk in newness of life. But, but, that's all I got, but, that's all I can do, but, but there's one coming after me, the likes of whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Ghost, you mean there's a Holy Ghost baptism for me? You'd better believe there is. Next verse. Paul said, John baptized with, with penance. He told people to believe on the name coming after him, and that's Jesus. Next verse. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Next verse. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Oh, it's great that you had the bonfire. It's great that you burn up all the mess. It's great that you got rid of the dice and the tarot cards. It's great that you got rid of the whiskey and the beer. It's great that you throwed out the drugs and fussed them through the toilet. But what you need to do is don't stop there. Go on until you receive power from on high. God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. God wants you to be a person that does what you do because you've got a power and energy that's in you that enables you to live for God and do things for God. But somehow... John says, Jesus says, 
that has all settled down. And you've got so familiar with sacred things that you're no longer excited. You don't have the passion. You don't come to church like you used to. You don't work for God like you used to. You use excuses for why you can't do the work of God. You use excuses for why you no longer have the passion. Well, I got hurt, Brother Jerry. And I, I'm going to tell you, I, it, it injured me. Well, get over it. Are you going to nurse that thing and hope you got enough to go into rapture? Are you going to carry that thing around with you forever? Are you going to limp around on that little thing forever? It's time for you to do what he's fixing to tell us to do, how to get rid of it right here. Just a minute. I'm going to get to it. Say, tell your neighbor, he's going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. It's right down there. It tells you what to do about it, about all the excuses. He said, I'm, I'm grieved with you. I've got a complaint that you no longer have the passion, that you no longer have the zeal, you no longer have the desire like you used to. You see, Pentecost has done come through about three or four generations now. Brother, those first believers in Ephesus, Brother, when that message came through and Paul preached it, what happened to them? They all got it. I said, they all got it. If you were to bring some of these older folks here of previous generations, they'd tell you about seeking services. When they used to go every night, A.V. Bobby used to talk about how he got the Holy Ghost in a seeking service in Bastrop, Louisiana. He is a 16-year-old boy and his sister went out to a brush arbor meeting and got the Holy Ghost. Came back home telling him, she called him Bud. Said, Bud, said, I know you love the Lord, but said, there's something for you. And said, if you'll go with me out there at that brush arbor, said, I believe you'll receive what God has for you. He said, I, I went out there that night to the brush arbor and said, I wore out everybody that was at the service. Wore them all out. Praying with me to receive the baptism. And he said, I, I was praying there one night in the brush arbor and said, I, said, God, I've prayed. I've said, glory, 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 glory. If that would get the Holy Ghost, I'd have had it a long time ago. Lord, if I, I've followed all these people's suggestions here. What is it, Lord, that I need to do to have a breakthrough? And I can hear old brother Bobby right now say, Brother Jerry, there's a bunch of guineas flew up in my face and said, I remembered. There was a precious little African-American lady lived off behind our house and she had a bunch of guineas and said, me and my friends went over there one day and stole one of her guineas and cooked that thing and ate it. 
and said, I told the Lord that night, said, Lord, I'll take care of that thing in the morning. Next morning, he said, I went to her house, and I said, how much does one guinea cost? She said, well, they ain't worth much. He said, well, you tell me what they're worth, and I brought it over here to fix it. I stole one of yours, and I'm here to pay for that one that I stole. Said, Brother Jerry, when I got back to that brush arbor that night, I hadn't got knelt down good till God's good Holy Ghost fell on me and said he baptized me in the Holy Ghost that night and I received the promise of the Father. Said, glory be to God. And now he's a Pentecostal preacher, overseer of Tennessee on the executive committee of the Church of God. You mean God can take a 16-year-old kid from Bastrop, Louisiana and elevate him to general overseer of a church? Yes, yes, I have not seen, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God can do for people that love him. Old brother Morrow out at Mountaintop Church of God, Mountain View it is, right up there on the end of the mountain before you go down into Tennessee. He went to the Mountain View Church of God. Earl Hall was his pastor. And old brother Morrow come in, he got right with God, and he was seeking for the baptism. He said he went out and said he was going to plow his old mule and said, he said, I believe before I plow around, he said, I believe I'm going to seek for the baptism. Went over there and knelt down by a fence post and started seeking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He said, brother, Earl told me, he said, he told him, said, Brother Hall, said, I stood there, that old mule twitching his ears till it's nearly dinner time. But said, about dinner time, said, the Lord turned a tub of honey over in my heart, and I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When Karen and Eddie came to this church, she told me, she said, Brother Jerry, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Come on. And she said, every day I'd go in there and kneel down by my bed. And one, I don't know if it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, she came in, she came straight to me with the biggest smile on her face, said, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. I was a praying like I pray every day, but said there was something special about today because the Lord baptized me in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I used to, old brother Snyder, I asked him, I said, how did Pentecost get to this country? What are your earliest recollections? He said, well, we lived over about Iron City and said, White Plains and out that way. And said, my daddy had a a wagon and said, it's cold weather. And said, we would get in that wagon, mama would wrap us up in quilts. And said, we'd ride in that wagon with mules pulling it all the way over to Webster's Chapel outside of Glencoe over here to go to a once one Sunday a month meeting that a man would come and preach the Pentecostal message. And he said that's how we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost was driving over there in a wagon. Lord, I can't get you to ride in a Cadillac. Come on, somebody. And what was the problem at Ephesus? You once did run well. 
You one time had passion. You one time had intensity and fervency in your worship. But said now that has all subsided. And it doesn't excite you anymore. We're about three generations away from that first generation around the turn of the century. And we've become so familiar with Pentecost that it's just about become like it was in Ephesus. In fact, if you would examine the membership role of this church, less than half of us have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, let me tell you one thing. You have not because you ask not. Amen. And I want to tell you, Pentecostal blessing is a wonderful thing. Brother, if you ever, if you ever do, discover the beauty and the glory of having the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how the good, good, good Spirit of God in your life, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, when you have the comforter, I want to tell you, everything changes. I said everything changes. You know, when, when Peter and John went into the temple in the third chapter of Acts, they just received the baptism and gone out preaching. 3,000 got saved, baptized 3,000 of them. Glorious day, birthday of the church. Third chapter, they're going at the gate, which is called Beautiful. There was a man sitting there, and he had a, cup in his hand he was asking alms 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 and these church of God preachers how you know they were church of God because they said silver and gold have I none <laughs> silver and gold have I none but such as I do have give I thee hey do you have something you can give to people that are destitute and despondent? Do you have something such as you do have? Have you got anything that would do something for somebody that's desperate? Have you got a healing word? Have you got a saving word? Have you got an encouraging word? Have you got something? Have you got something? I said, have you got something? Hey, silver and gold have I none, but such as I do have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We're talking about a guy that's been lame all his life. We're talking about a guy who has never worshipped. He's heard it because he's laid outside at the door. And he hears it, but he can't get in there to go in. Glory to God. You know what happened to him when he received what they had? When they gave something to him that they had that money couldn't buy? When he got up, the Bible said, and he reached down and took him by the hand and lifted him up. Sometimes you can shout in the name of Jesus, but you need to take them by the hand and lift them up. Come on, somebody. And the Bible said, immediately. Somebody say immediately. immediately. Have you ever had it immediately? Glory to God. And immediately, and immediately, he leaping up stood. 
And then what did he do? He said, I need to go worship. Now that I've got what they gave me, that they got in an upper room, it's caused me to want to go worship. The Bible said, and he went his way into the temple. What was he doing? Leap. And rejoicing. Thank you. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You reckon he tore up that temple service? Leaping and rejoicing and praising God. Have you got something that you can share with somebody that will make them want to come to God's house and worship? Have you got anything? I dare say you do. I dare say you do. But what was a flame and a bonfire has now just turned to some smoldering coals, just some glowing embers. What I'm trying to do this morning is get the fan out. And fan the coals. Oh, God. Oh, God, give me a fan. God, give me a wind-making fan. Let me turn it on these coals that are just embers until they erupt into a bonfire. Well, Brother Jerry, what do you want us to do? I want you to remember... I want you to remember how it was that night. I want you to remember how it was that night. I want you to remember how it felt when that load lifted. I want you to remember how it felt when your heart was so full of joy. I want you to remember how it felt when your mind was at peace. I want you to remember how it felt to know that you're on your way to heaven and you don't have to go to hell. I want you to remember how it felt that night when you got up out of that altar and you got down there, you was burdened down with all kind of guilt and remorse and you got up and the guilt was gone and the condemnation was gone and all of the remorse was gone and suddenly you felt new. You felt like you had been cleaned up. You felt like you'd been cleansed. You felt like that God had done something for you. Remember, remember how it felt. Remember how it felt to be free. Remember how it felt to have peace. Remember how it felt to know the Lord and the free pardon of sin. Remember, have you ever felt that? Well, about half of us have. Are you washed in the blood? Well, let me know about it. I want to hear it. Are you saved? Why don't you act saved? Are you full of the Spirit? Are you? Have you got what God wants for you? Have you got what God wants you to have?
help us remember. God, help us to remember. God, help us to remember. Sit down, let me preach some more. Remember. Remember how it felt. And when you remember and recall how it felt, he said, and repent. Repent. What do you mean repent? Repent for getting like I am. Last night in my study, in my house, this pastor was on his face, repenting. For if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and repent and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive sin and I will heal your land. Oh, 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 Jesus. Hey. Repent, repent, repent and do your first works. Repent and go back to that place. You left your first love. He didn't leave you. You left him. You got so preoccupied with what you were doing that you left him. You let other things get at your attention and you left him. You let other things creep in and become more important and you left him. You left your first love and he said, please come back. Please come back. I don't like it when you're walking so far from me. I don't like it when you're a distance from me. Please come back. I want us to be close again. I want us to be together again. I, I don't want for you to be off somewhere and away. I want you to be here. And I want you to be with me, God says. I believe if every one of us this morning could speak our sentiment, we would say, Brother Jerry, I have become passive. And I have become kind of familiar. Things that used to really excite me no longer excite me. Things that used to really get me stirred up don't stir me up anymore. Well, I want to tell you, it's time for us to get stirred. Stirred. One of the great comments, come on, Victor, and play for me. One of the great comments Jesus made, a comment about him, he stirreth up the people. Can I ask you a question? How long has it been since you were stirred? How long has it been since you were stirred? How long has it been since you looked at yourself and said, how did I get like this? How did I get to a point to where I don't have any passion? Don't have a real desire? What's going on with me? What's happened? How long has it been since you got stirred? 
when Nehemiah was serving as cupbearer to the king, his brethren stopped by one day and told him, Mark said, at Jerusalem the walls are torn down, gates are burned, and our brethren are under great shame and great reproach. And Nehemiah, listen to this pastor, I'm closing. Nehemiah said, when I heard those words, I sat down and wept. How long has it been since you got so stirred to see revival, to see harvest move forward? How long has it been since you got so stirred, so hungry, so stirred that you cried, you actually wept? The second thing he did, the Bible said, and he mourned certain days. It's not too good down around Papa Momo's house. We went down there Friday night and separated her stuff out that she wanted different ones to have. A lot of mourning. Ann went on down there at that house, crying, tears, people going off to themselves and sobbing, mourning. You know what mourning is? How long has it been since you mourned? to see God do something, to see people saved? How long has it been since you mourned, literally mourned, yearning for revival? Third thing he did, the Bible said, he prayed to the God of heaven. Is anybody hearing this, Pastor? He prayed to the God of heaven. Fourth thing he did, Natalie, he fasted. He fasted. Dad, how long has it been since that lost son of yours came around and said, Dad, are you sick or something? I noticed you don't eat like you used to. What's wrong? You said, Son, I'm fasting for God to save you. You need to be saved. Mom, how long has it been since that daughter of yours came around and said, Mom, I noticed you seem to be to yourself a lot. You don't seem to be happy and laughing a lot. What's, what's wrong? You said, honey, I'm under a great burden. You're not saved. And I can't bear the thoughts of you being lost. And I'm concerned about you. I want you to be saved. How long has it been? How long has it been since those kids went to bed at night hearing mom and daddy call their names? God, don't let Tommy be lost. God, please touch Sherry. God, please touch Kathy. God, don't let Daniel be lost. Touch him, God. How long has it been since you were stirred? See, I contend you won't do much until you get stirred. And I'm praying this morning that God will stir us. I don't want to be like Ephesus and become passive. And God say, I've got a complaint against you. you you've lost your lo first love. You once had it. I feel like praying a prayer, don't you? I don't think I have to get a crowbar out and prize you this morning. I believe if I say, come and let's pray, I believe you'll come. Come on, all over this house, I want you to come and pray with me. Come on. Come on, it won't take long. That's another thing I'm going to do. I'm going to quit telling you how long I'm going to preach. Because I'm going to preach till God gets through with me.
Ipaya Sapataba Kodabaya Tarabokolabaya Saya. Ilele Messi Odo de Bokoda de Bayan Santantamohotana. A world that's in crisis needs a church that's in revival. Aniston needs a church that's in revival. Oxford needs a church that's in revival. Calhoun County needs a church that's in revival. Sam Northeast Alabama needs a church that's in revival. This state needs a church that's in revival. A church that's in revival. When I went to Montgomery to pastor, I didn't want to go. But I was told by the overseer that's the only thing I could do in the church of God is pastor that church. So I found myself pastoring a church in Montgomery. Went, I said, God, help me reach this city. I need to reach this city. If I'm going to be here, I need you to help me reach this city. Went and got a program on Channel 32 and preached the gospel every Sunday night. Church started growing. We had to build onto the building. The executive committee told me we'd lose 250 people the first year I was there. Instead of losing 250, we gained 250. The secretary to the governor of the state of Alabama, her name is Linda Gravely. She was secretary to George Wallace. He is in a wheelchair. She came to church one Sunday night, stepped out and walked down the aisle, Lisa, and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost that Sunday night at Vaughn Road Church of God in Montgomery, Alabama. And I'm going to tell you something. She got the, the kind that I got, that kick your shoes off and dance down the aisle kind of Holy Ghost. That's the kind of Holy Ghost she got. She got that, that rejoicing kind. Some of you tell me you hadn't got the kind of Holy Ghost I got. I, I get it. I get it. She had the kind I got. Brother, she'd put them antennas in the air, get out in that aisle, come down that aisle. When Governor Wallace would complain about how he was hurting from the gunshot, she said, well, if you'll let me, I'll call my pastor. And he'll probably bring a little bottle of oil over here and said, he'll probably dab a little bit and rub it on your forehead and said, he'll pray for you, but I promise you, you'll feel different. And that got to be a two or three times a week occurrence. Me and Coy Barker, the pastor at First Assembly, we'd go over and pray for Governor Wallace. He even got to where he'd say, Linda, call that preacher and tell him to bring that oil. Well, they started a Bible study over at the Capitol building, Doc, and... The lady who was the state auditor of the state of Alabama, Betty Frank, she started coming to the Bible study. One Sunday night, she came with Linda. Bad to sit with somebody that's got the Holy Ghost like Linda's got the Holy Ghost. You, 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 you're going to get some on you before you leave there. Next thing I knew, Linda and her was over in the altar here on the left side. And next thing I knew, the state auditor of the state of Alabama was laying on her back, flat in the floor, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave her the utterance. You mean 
the Holy Ghost is for people that work at the Capitol building, Brother Jerry? Yeah. You mean governors, secretaries can get the Holy Ghost? You better believe it. One Wednesday night, Dr. Wayne Teague was the state superintendent of education in Alabama. His assistant was a precious black lady. Her name was Dale Tumlin, Dr. Dale Tumlin. She's the first African-American lady to ever get a PhD from Harvard University. Wow. She came to church with Linda and Betty on a Wednesday night, and that's a dangerous thing to do. Because about 11 o'clock that, that night, Dr. Dale Tumlin, Ph.D., received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. Her brother is Dr. William Stanford. He's the principal at West Point High School in Crenshaw County. Called Dale and said, Dale, I need a commencement speaker for graduation. She said, you need my pastor. After church on Sunday morning, I got in the car and drove to Crenshaw County, walked into a crowded gymnasium, crowded gymnasium and preached, is there a champion in this house? Jesus is looking for champions. And those graduates in cap and gown came around and had me to lay hands on them and pray for them. Dr. Stanford came over and bear hugged me up out of that chair. He said, as long as I'm the principal of this school, you'll do the commencement every year. And said, in next March, said, we're going to have a revival in this gymnasium right here. Said, this whole community needs what you preached here today. Well, I want to tell you something. Pentecost has come out of the shadows. Pentecost is not over in the back, back roads anymore. And I want to tell you that people from all walks of life can have this blessed experience. And I want to tell you, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. And I want to confess to you, I'm full of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. From the longest hair on my head to the biggest toenail on my toe. I'm a Holy Ghost baptized Pentecostal preacher. I am, I am, I am. And I'm incurable. I'm incurable. But what good news I have for you is what he's done for others, he'll do for you. He'll do for you. He'll do for you. I want Harvest to be a place that's, pa that's passionate. I want when we worship, we worship hard. I want when we love, we love hard. I want when we work, we work hard. I want when we pray, we pray hard. I want us to get back to our roots. And I want to start praying like Pentecostal people pray. And I want us to preach like a Pentecostal preacher preaches. And I want us to sing like Pentecostal people sing. And worship like Pentecostal people worship. I'll die doing my best to get people to worship the Lord and let the Pentecostal experience be manifest in their life. God, I come to you right now with this church assembled in this altar. I've done exactly what you told me to do, God. I've preached exactly what you told me to preach. And you said we could recover from passivity. You said we could recover from being lax. You said we could recover from being slothful. It starts with repentance. So God, I lead this church today in an act of repentance. And before you right now, oh God, I bring Harvest Church of God into the throne room right into your presence. And I place my elbows on your knees, God. And I look right in your face. And I say to you, oh God, please forgive us. And I repent, God. And we repent. 
God, don't let us get slothful and don't let us get passive. Don't let us get ordinary and status quo and mundane and ordinary. God, please, please help us, Lord, to maintain our distinctive. Help us, Lord, to maintain our identity. Don't let us, O oh Lord, lose our identity or lose. You said you'd come and take the candlestick and you'd remove it out of its place. You said we couldn't be a church without being fervent and being passionate. God, I pray in Jesus' name that every mom, every dad, every boy, every girl, every person in this room right now would say, God, I purpose in my heart that I'm going to be passionate about serving you. I've heard the pastor's message. I know, God, that you sent it this morning. And in Jesus' name, God, I rededicate myself. I rededicate myself, God. As it was in the beginning, God, that's the way it's going to be. I remember how it used to be, God, and I'm going to restore how it used to be. I'm going to pray like I used to pray. I'm going to sing like I used to sing. I'm going to rejoice like I used to rejoice. I'm going to serve you, God, like I used to serve you. In Jesus' name, God, I'm stirred. I'm stirred today, oh God. Oh, Lord, don't let me lose this. Don't let me lose this feeling. Keep me stirred, God. Could you all say with me, keep me stirred? Keep me stirred. Say it one more time. Keep me stirred. One more time. Oh God, keep me stirred. Glory to God. Jeremy will make a sign. Put it out there in the foyer. Keep me stirred. Keep me stirred. Brother Ford, keep me stirred. Don, keep me stirred. If you ever observe me being lax and slothful, you come to me and tell me. I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Because I don't want to fail now. Too many miles behind me. Too many rivers my feet have walked through. Too many sunsets lie behind the mountain. I got too much to gain to lose. No, go, not going to lose now. Not going to lose now.